It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, and Painter Sharpless business is picking up in our line of work. Uh, a lot of talk about here. Auburn hoops, Auburn football. There's a point guard. There are coordinators. There's a staff coming together. There's a lot to talk about. And also, we record this uh, on Sunday. It is the 10th anniversary of the uh, Oregon national title win. Painter, I don't know if we've done this on this podcast before. Um, I might have done it in the in uh, a previous uh, installment of things we used to do where we recorded our voices. Um, what do you remember from the game itself, the national title game, uh, Auburn uh, beating Oregon with uh, West Byram's last kick? I remember where I was and some of who I was with. I was a senior in high school, so Mm -hmm. I do remember being at Gardner Johnson's house, and I remember driving downtown after the game. To be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about the game itself. You know, I remember the big moments, Cody's touchdown, Mm -hmm. um, the the touchdown that almost was from Cam to – was he throwing to Carl Stewart on that play, and it was just a little bit short – that sounds right. But sounds either right. way, I mean, really, when I think about it, there's a lot about that game I don't remember, you know, and you remember how it ended, but I, I have congratulations the, to Auburn. The Dyer run is the thing that all, sure. like that yeah. whole review and all that, because at that point, review was, you know, still not as universally hated as it is right now, and, and there was still a lot of, like, kind of elements to it. Um uh, but I, I tweeted before we started recording on uh, on Sunday. Uh, I don't remember seeing the West Byram kick because I think as soon as the ball was snapped, we were like, me and my brothers were already out of the house. Um, just <laughs> like it was automatic. I mean, of course it was automatic because Byram. I mean, it was basically an extra point at that point. But it was just like, all right. For some reason in my head, it was it was even with all the weird and wild stuff that happened that season. It was like, all right, all, all he's got to do is just get the ball down and it's over. I've always Man. thought about how nerve-wracking it would have been to be, I mean, of course Byron, but Neil Cottle or yeah. the, the forgotten snapper in that play, I'm sure. Um, Was that Josh Harris? I guess that would be fitting, given how good of a career he had as a snapper, but I don't know. I, I want to I wanna make sure I, I get this right. Yeah, that was a uh, – should have been Josh Harris, yeah. Josh Harris, who is still who is still in the league, uh, still, still getting it done for the uh, – uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, by the way, um, playing a position that feels relatively safe given oh yeah. what it is you're asked to do in this game. Yeah. Cause like, that's a position that if, if you have a career doing that in the NFL, it's like, it, it can only take like one or two mistakes for you to be done. Like we know how much kickers and punters can be, you know, shelved off pretty easily. And there's a little bit more money investment in them these guys, they can just kind of rip it through pretty quickly. So to be like nearly a decade now, I believe for Josh Harris to be, you know, the Falcons um, long snapper is pretty impressive. Also, this is where I come in and say, we need to have some justice for the long snappers on Madden. There needs to be a long snapper rating or something because they just put them on the roster as like 28 rated overall tight ends. And like when you're playing franchise mode, they're like, cut this guy. He doesn't do anything. He's like, no, but he's actually a long snapper. And so, Let's give some long snappers some real, real ratings. It shouldn't be that hard. Um, but I, the other thing I'll always remember from that is that you know we're we're celebrating, and so games on a Monday. Obviously, um, it was back in the day where you 
and I guess it still happens now. Well, I, guess, I wonder if it'll happen, you know, tomorrow or however all this works out these days. But you go to get the national championship gear at the store. The, in, in, the, in, the, in the case for us, it was Walmart. it was the it was the Hibbit. Um, it was the Hibbit Sports in Andalusia, which was about twenty minutes from us. Um, and I remember we remember driving over there and getting in line and waiting in line and staying there for like a long time just to get the shirt, just so you could wear it to school on Tuesday. Um, I didn't sleep that night. Uh, I remember that. I remember not sleeping. And then I think I might have had a basketball game that next day or something like that. So I was, I mean, running on fumes, but worth it. Just completely jacked up on the on the energy of uh, of the national championship. For which, just a moment, Auburn evened up the national title race with Alabama in the Saban era. Yep. They had it. And then suddenly it was no longer even. It's got hard to believe that's been a decade, though, too. It's crazy. A decade ago. 2010, uh, Sharif Cooper would have been a young boy. <laughs> yeah, I remember being extremely excited going into the Northwestern game about Cam Newton's commitment and then you know oh, subsequent yeah. signing. And he's one of the few players that I had you know out of this world expectations for. Like you can't really expect him to do that because you don't know what player could potentially turn your program on its head. And he over delivered, of course, in almost every imaginable way. And it's only been one game, but uh, Sharif Cooper delivered himself. Sharif Cooper would have been nine years old uh, <laughs> in the uh, the day Auburn won the national championship. Um, Auburn hoops. Uh, I wrote about it on Saturday afternoon, evening at the Observer for those who subscribe. And I said, can a, can a home rivalry loss ever feel like a win? Of course not, but... With Sharif Cooper now on the floor for Auburn and the way they played yesterday against an Alabama team that I think right now is the class of the SEC, that Alabama-Kentucky matchup coming up should be very interesting. Um, God, I hope Kentucky wins. <laughs> Normally, I don't know if I would care that much. You you feel as close, I think, if you're an Auburn fan uh, to a win, to positivity as you can from a loss that you could have – I mean, it was a winnable game – to your big rival, you're now 0-4 in SEC play. But, man, it ain't about that. We've said that this year. It's about uh, – it's not about building a resume. It's about building a program. It's about building a team for the future because of the circumstances that you were in, not just with uh, COVID-19, but also, of course, with the fallout from the Chuck Perkinson scandal and the self-imposed ban. Auburn was just trying to get by these last few weeks. And really, so for the season, they had done a really good job of managing – not having a natural point guard on the floor, and continuing to fight, continuing to show great growth and development on the individual level. But it was tough, and Bruce Pearl has talked about how tough it was. And how it was catching up with great. them in conference play, right? Like, they did yeah. do a good job, you know, in non-conference outside of a poor shooting night against Central Florida. But and that, that was not sustainable. Uh, it was going to be a – and it, I don't know how much better it's going to get, but, God, and, and, there was some life in that game. Man, and, and – and, Sharif Cooper, first run out for him, you could tell things were different. Auburn was getting really clean looks. They just weren't finishing them. They looked a lot calmer in the half court. They weren't turning the ball over as much. The offense felt different. JT Thor said it after the game. The offense felt different in the half court. And then the light came on 
when he came back in with about seven, six and seven minutes left to go in the first half. He had his first career assist around that point. Had his first career bucket not too long after that. Um, he finished that game being responsible for more than half of Auburn's 90 points against an <laughs> Alabama team, by the way. Against the Alabama team, by the way, who I, we know Nate Oates, um, their style, they are going to put up shots and they're going to play fast and they're going to try to maximize points and, and opportunities as much as you can. We know that, right? So that's, that's part of the style. But no one had even broken, I think, 71 against Alabama in the first three games of the SEC play this year. They had done a really good job outside of that Western Kentucky loss of playing great defense. And Auburn got on some runs there with Cooper on the floor where Alabama just did not have an answer for him. Well, it also got personal. You could tell that it was very frustrating for some of the Alabama players that this uh, hyped kid had come in and was making some of them look silly. And you could also tell after they won that it was very personal because they were very jubilant and, and their exit off the court. And, you know, they're trying to get to where Auburn has been recently as a, as a program. Oh, and, I have no problem with that. I think it's all good fun. Oh, yeah. You know, like I know that there were some Auburn fans that were not happy with it, but I think that's honestly part of disliking a team. Yep, yep. But uh, Sharif Cooper, 26 points, 9 assists. He could have had more of both uh, when you keep in mind that he was 1 of 6 from deep. Or 1 of 7, sorry. Uh, from deep, um, and then there were a few passes he hit that could have been assists that weren't. I mean, it's just the vision and the creation for other guys on the floor. I mean, it's a special talent, and and it's not very often that in college basketball you get a player just because of the nature of the beast of of, of NBA scouting and and the way basketball is built up these days and packaged and sold. Uh, at the amateur level, there's so much hype surrounding these guys. And it's not all the time that you get somebody who delivers in the first game. And there was nothing really to point to the fact that he should have delivered like this in this game. Alabama, right now, is the best team playing the best basketball in the SEC. Um, Sharif Cooper just returned to practice rather recently. He has not played a competitive game in a long time um, due to COVID, due to having to sit out and all that stuff. Yet, he goes 26-9 in a debut where you're like, that is why he was the National Player of the Year coming out of high school. And you pointed out, it could have been better. I mean, there were some opportunities where his teammates had some balls that went off their hands. He missed some shots late. They're going to have to learn how to – they're going to have to learn that they don't have to be quite as wide open as they think they do. With the way he the way he visualizes the floor and the way he passes, but and between some crazy. of the between some of those you know dropped opportunities, non steal turnovers, um, between some of those offensive rebounds and second chance points, Alabama got, and then I guess this is a little bit anecdotal, but it felt like Auburn did for whatever reason not get some of the loose ball luck. Yeah, yeah, but like. You know, you can find the game in just a handful of areas. You mentioned, too, Alabama's three-point shooting and those second-chance opportunities that went along with it. I, I, I'm with you. I think the guys are going to have to be prepared at any point to get a pass that they might not have been expecting. JT Thor said after the game, it felt completely different. It felt really fun. He sees the whole floor. He, keep, he, he can make plays for himself and can make plays for everybody else. And that was very obvious in this game because, I mean – 
he had some stretches there where he took over and it was like he'll dribble up the floor and he he has he he has that stop and go that stop and go is already going to be a menace to watch he found ways to get to the free throw line uh, a decent bit uh, and hit his free throws also a really impressive thing to see out of a freshman playing in his first game he held his own on defense a little better than i thought yeah. he would at some point had a great steal and steal and slam at one point to give auburn the lead um he he really I mean, he, he delivered. He, he This is the guy who's the highest-rated player you've ever had in terms of his recruit. Now, Jabari Smith will will beat him whenever he comes on, on, on campus for that honor, but we're still a ways away from that. And, I mean, you don't get that a lot. And it looked like early on it was going to be, okay, you know, you start coming through, watching this game, I start thinking it's like, all right, this game is going to be one of those where Alabama stays in front most of the way and probably and probably wins rather solidly. Um, but you can tell that Auburn's going to be different with Cooper. They're just going to need some more time. And then it just the light came off. And not only not only did you, did the light not come off just because Sharif Cooper played awesome and Sharif Cooper played awesome. There's no doubt about it. But Sharif Cooper playing awesome changes so much for the other guys on the floor because you have a game with Sharif Cooper running the point. And Auburn makes that comeback late in the first half to make this a competitive game all the way to the end. That comes at a time where now you have Alan Flanagan playing his natural position. And we talked, and a lot of people want to talk about Justin Powell whenever he comes back playing his natural position. It might even be more important, and I think it, I think it is, honestly, that Alan Flanagan gets to be Isaac Okoro 2.0 in terms of I'm the wing. I'm the guy who can finish. I'm the guy who who has the confidence to shoot from deep when I'm open, and I'm have I I have the confidence to be the guy on the defensive end of the floor, and I don't have to worry about running the show anymore or having all this on my plate as much um, at, at at playmaking. Now I can do some of it, and the fact that Cooper released some of that pressure on him, he was a better playmaker and took care of the ball better because he didn't have to be so ball dominant um, on Saturday. But Alan Flanagan. While Cooper starts to, before Cooper gets his own shot going, he comes in and just says, hey, it's time to take over. And this is a night and day difference. You want to talk about what Auburn learned and what Auburn got and developed and, and benefited from not having Sharif Cooper on the floor these first, you know, however many games. It's that they got to unleash Alan Flanagan, and now that can only keep keep going forward because... This is a man who's playing with the confidence that he knows that he can take over a game and lead the way for a team when he when when it's pop you know when it when he needs to. Now you're doing it with a guy who who is by nature all he wants to do is take take over a game. Like you have you you have developed a killer mentality at the wing position with a guy um, who could have easily cracked under all that pressure. And there was some stretch here at the, at the beginning of SEC play where he had a hard time keeping the ball in his hands, but it never seemed like his confidence faded at, at all. And now you get to fully unleash him. We I, I wrote about it on, on Saturday. You talk about free Sharif. How about free Flan? Because Alan Flanagan has been unleashed, I think, and it's going to be fun watching him play with Sharif Cooper. The way those that The way that two-man game looked yesterday was awesome. What I saw was Sharif, in terms of how he carried himself, very confidently affecting the game early. And at first he looked 
like it was going to take some time to settle in, and I was not super surprised by that. I thought it might take a couple of games for him to look more comfortable, but it really just took, as you mentioned, that first section of the game. He's pulled out for a breather, comes back in, looks different the rest of the way. Flanagan's performance built on what we saw a lot of the season and what we've been saying for the last few weeks, which is put him in his natural position with a, mm-hmm. another talented player leading the offense. It's going to get easier for him. And, you know, things probably have slowed down slowed down this offseason. He's gotten more comfortable at the speed of the game. His shot selection and his, his shot making He's confident. exciting. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he is not afraid to pull it. And I'm not afraid when he takes those shots. There are still guys on the team right now when they take shots, you go, mm, you know, unless it's an open look, I'm not sure I want you taking that. Right. I, I, I kind of right now feel like he has the benefit of doubt. It's like if he feels like he can make it, go ahead and pull it. Painter, he's got so much confidence on the offensive end right now. And this is a dude who shot five for 35 from deep last season and 46% from the free throw line. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have that confidence in him just last season when he took shots. It was like, oh, all right. So far, so far in, in SEC play this year, he has doubled the amount of threes he hit as in his entire freshman season. In just four SEC games, he's already done that. He's a 40% shooter from deep this year. He's scoring on the inside at a high rate. He's 64% uh, inside the line. He's picked up his his free throw uh, uh, rate and uh, accuracy considerably there. This is a guy that has been molded by the fact that he had to do a lot early on and he had to lead and it didn't let it didn't rattle him. It didn't rattle him. And well, so now, you know, on defense at the end of the game, who was he guarding that he was given? I mean, he was given that that uh, the Alabama. I'm not sure if it was Ellis or if it was Jones, but he was talking a lot and and mm-hmm. like they had to move the ball off of him because he was not having a lot of success against Flanagan. He was, I think you outlined this. Did he play the most minutes again for Auburn? Yes, he played 35, and Cooper played 33. Um, just, I mean, I mean, just a a real weapon on, on that end of the floor. Now, of course, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go on. Auburn's defense, again, this is an inconsistent team. Um, the youth shows, because one game they'll look awesome <laughs> on offense, not this great on defense, and vice versa. Early on, Josh Primo was just getting everything he wanted from deep. He was getting wide open looks, and he was hitting them. Now that tailed off towards the end. Alabama only ended up only hitting, um, you know, a couple more threes than Auburn did. Yeah, and you'll live with that. But the problem you won't live, the thing you won't live with, is how much they were able to score on the inside, how much they were able to get second chance points, how much they were able to get to the free throw line, especially in the second half. And when that happens, you're going to have a hard time. And it's going to you got to be physical. Auburn's got size. Auburn has got athleticism. They are not fully using their size and their athleticism. Goodness, I feel like the size. really been surprising it was one of the things i was most eager about this year and they've been fine i think they're middle of the road right now though in that category and it's like for one of the taller teams in the country and and so young i thought it was going to be something they were able to lean on for more scoring opportunities and and maybe it will as the season progresses but to to be to be as tall as you are and as athletic as you are and to be 11th in defensive field goal percentage and 12th and 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 two point percentage in sec play so far it's not a good sign. And Bruce talked about 
you know, you've got to pick it up physically. That's that's the big word for him. JT Thor is very honest about it. I asked him, I said, okay, well, what do you guys got to do to, like, not get beat on the boards as much? Because there were some stretches during that game where Alabama was just getting chance after chance after chance. And meanwhile, Auburn was going one and done on their possessions. Um, and he said, you got to hit the man first and get the rebound. Don't just look at the ball when the shot goes up. I feel like the front court has got to hit first to be more physical down the stretch. Down the stretch, he pointed out to an area where he gave up a second chance opportunity that, that – you know, was a big bucket in the game. I got to keep working. And everybody does. I think, as weird as it sounds, not having Justin Powell out there, you know, your guard, your two guard, um, I think the biggest impact is you're, you don't have him on the on the defensive glass. He's your best defensive rebounder on the team this year. 20.5% of the misses uh, when he's on the floor this season are going to him. He attacks the, the glass – with just, uh, I think being six six helps, but um, you know, I think he's just a more he's just more prone to rebounding than some of these guys that are even a guy like Alan Flanagan, even a guy like you know, Devin Cambridge, or when you have to put Jamal Johnson in the game more, and we'll see how Sharif comes into that that picture as well. They're missing that guard rebounding because that's the difference in the game. You look at guys like if you look statistically, you look at guys like Dylan Cardwell when he's on the floor and you look at guys like Jalen Williams when he's on the floor, um, they're getting defensive rebounds. The bigger guys, Stretch Akinbola, they're getting rebounds when they're out there. And it's not like Auburn's playing a game where, you know, Alabama, you look up and there's an Alabama or uh, Ole Miss or A&M or Arkansas has a big man who's got 15 boards. It's more of, okay, their guards have five or six. And their wings are, you know, doing a little bit more than usual. Or this is a team that's getting more offensive rebounds than you normally see them get. That's got to be the thing. It's got boxing out, and that's a learning process, especially when you, especially if you're going, if you're switching your defenses so much, and you're doing zone, and you're doing man, and you, you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to be in the right spot, and then just, just take advantage. Like don't be, don't be tentative. Go for it. And a guy like JT Thor can just go for it, and. That's something I think he's got to continue to develop on. You want to worry about fouls, and you don't want to. You just got. You want to. You want to just kind of unlock yourself there. And I think on the defensive end, just honestly, when you're young and you're changing things up, and you're having to, you're having to adjust on the fly. Um, make the best of it because like the fouls are going to be inconsistent that second half on both ends of the floor. Uh, it's not just Alabama drawing a ton of, ton of whistles in the second half. It was Auburn as well. Like that, the way that game was officiating the second half was different than it was in the first half. And that changes basketball and that changes the yeah, way you got play a little defense. fun there in the second half. As you, as you pointed out and the ref started reining that in real quickly yeah. to the, to the end of the game, by the way, I, I want to point out while I was, in that situation, probably would have preferred that Sharif pushed and went for the lay-in. Like, had yep. he made the shot, none of us would have cared. It would have tied the game up. Yeah, memory too. serves me. Yeah, exactly. But I will say, in the UCF game, one of my takeaways was that it felt like everybody was looking around, waiting for someone to make a play. And at least in that situation, while I think he'd probably like to have it back, mm-hmm. he was decisive. Yep. And you took the three. To go uh, shoot, which, shoot early. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I like can spin that in a positive way, given that there have been moments in games where I was looking for someone to be decisive. It just didn't work out. I'm going to read this verbatim because I know Auburn fans were, were really happy to hear this after the game, but this was Sharif Cooper on the end of the game, uh, by the way. He said, 
Late in the game, I made some mistakes. I really put this game on me because there were some things I did wrong in the closing seconds. But it's the first game, and we've got a lot to learn, and I'll be ready for the journey. So I asked a follow-up question about that. Hey, can you talk a little bit more about what happened there down the stretch? He said, you know, the last two minutes, I take that on my hat. Just being the point guard and having the coach be able to trust you to make the right plays, that's on me. I had a lot of reads where I felt like I could have made a better read, and I want to watch, I want to get back and watch it ASAP. Um, that is one of the main things I like to do, close the game. I had a lot of success in high school, but college is a different level, and I got the first feel of that today. I want to continue to watch film. You know, I got a great coaching staff from top to bottom. We'll learn. We'll watch film. We'll learn as a team, and I feel like this will be better better in the closing seconds and in the closing minutes. Um, That's about as good of an answer as I think you could have, like both admitting the mistake and realizing it's one game and it's your first game. Yep. He went 26-9. and nine. He could have had an even bigger <laughs> game. And the man wanted to talk about after the game how he felt like he lost it for his team. And he didn't. It's a team effort. Well, they're now, certainly not in that position against the best team in the league right now without him. Right. But he... But yeah, he made costly mistakes down the stretch, and I think it's good that he can recognize such and move forward. And and it goes back to it goes back to something why this guy is special and why this guy is not even a normal freshman um, because of the way he handles himself. Uh, Bruce said it after the game. You know, there were reports as soon as it was like, all right, he might not be cleared. It was like, well, he could be going to the G League or he'll go play in Australia. And it's like, I don't know about that. I didn't feel like Sharif. And the man stayed ready. And he lost you know, half of a season. And if he blows up, who knows what his future looks like. Um, but this is a guy who stayed ready. And his teammates knew how important it was to get him on the floor. His teammates knew how good he was. As evidenced by what? I think you pointed it out. Well, okay, so Bruce says that, you know, they finally get him cleared, and he talks on Saturday, early Saturday morning to uh, Jamal Johnson and Alan Flanagan and Devin Cambridge and says, hey, I want to start Sharif. We feel like, I mean, you got to have a point guard, but – I want to start Sharif. I want to make a statement. We're going to run with him. You know how good he is. I mean, you you see him, how he leads, and how we are different in practice with him on the floor and how we're a different team. I want to start him. And he said, Bruce said, that all three of those guys, Alan Flanagan, Devin Cambridge, and Jamal Johnson, all volunteered to sit out of the starting lineup in order to get Sharif Cooper on the floor. Now, Devin Cambridge ended up being that one. Devin Cambridge is the one that makes sense there. Jamal Johnson's played exceptionally well in SEC play. He's coming off of his first start. Um, we just talked about Flanagan in glowing about terms. Flanagan. And, and I think I, th- I want to just point out that I think I 100% um, believe that all three of those guys are willing. But if you're Flanagan in the back of your head, you have to be going, you're not going to you're not going to yeah. do it to me either, like, right? It's, like, it's not going to be me. I, like, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm gonna do I'll it. I'll be a team player. But. Yeah. Uh, and it wouldn't have made sense as much. But for Cambridge, it makes sense because, you know, your decision comes down between you're going to start Cambridge or Johnson mm-hmm. usually. Um so, for Cambridge, having that was, I thought, really telling because he's had an up-and-down season. Um, he struggled with his shot early. I think he's come on. Like, yesterday, he played well. <laughs> when, um, he, when Sharif sort of made that player Euro step, I don't know if it was primo, but God almighty, that was an impressive block by Cambridge. He had great blocks. Um, he was a... 
he was he was one of the he's one of the best players on the floor in plus minus. He helped kind of settle things down in the first half. He was part of the surge late. Um, he's going to like so Devin Cambridge putting him in the starting lineup when he had like heading into the season. It was like all right, can Cambridge be, Cambridge and Flanagan? Who's going to be that guy who can be a number one weapon for you on offense? Who can kind of. And we have not seen that consistency yet from Cambridge to be like he's a takeover type of guy. But here's what Devin Cambridge is. He's energy. He can stretch the floor. We know that if he his shot gets going, he's one of the best streak shooters Auburn's had in a while. A guy like Sharif Cooper is going to create opportunities for him. He's not going to have to do as much, like, like with Flanagan, he's not going to have to do as much to create his own shot. He's going to be able to run the floor, catch oops, from 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 Cooper, including that one where he caught it. I don't know how. I mean, I still haven't figured out how he caught that. He caught that uh, alley with his fingertips. He's going to do that. He's going to get catch and shoot three opportunities. He's going to be able to run and attack on the defensive end. He's going to be able to continue to crash the glass, and he's not going to have to have the pressure on him to say, "Okay, I have to be the guy," or "I have right. to be one this of is, the main this guys." This is what I think is one of the more important elements of Auburn's team this year is that Cambridge does not have to be a star, but because. I think of where his ceiling is and how good he could be running with the second team and, and a mixture of the ones. Same thing with the way Johnson has played when you get Powell back. Like both of those guys adding what they can both on both sides of the ball. If you get your the best versions of them, I don't think that there's a lot of teams that are equipped to deal with a lineup that deep. And so you know what you get out of Flanagan and Williams, and we've seen briefly what you could get out of Cooper and when Powell. All that we know, but if Cambridge is consistently playing well alongside Johnson down the bench. Like I think suddenly you are looking at a team as we talked about in the last podcast, that down the stretch is going to be very hard to beat. Extremely hard to beat. And the other thing with that is, is that if Devin Cambridge just is Malik Dunbar 2.0, right. Perfect. Yes. You know how crucial he was for that, for that Auburn team. And, and, there are all you need guys like that, and you're and whenever Justin Powell hopefully comes back into the mix for Auburn, here's your best catch and shoot option. Here's your best defensive rebounder. Here's a really good uh, a playmaker, a secondary playmaker, even a backup point guard. If you want to make sure Flanagan gets to really, really lock into that role as that as that wing. I uh, pray that, Cambridge is willing to embrace the role of being you know a six man or a spark that can be the what difference it was last year. Yeah. That can yeah. be the difference in winning or losing a game like yesterday's. And he's a guy who is going to, I think he, like I said, he's going to thrive from playing next to a dude like, like Sharif Cooper. Yeah. And you, you, again, you don't have to say, okay, we don't need you to take a ton of shots and play 35 minutes. We need you to hit your spots. Well, play 20 mm-hmm. to 25 minutes and, know that whenever we have to take Flanagan off the floor or a veteran guy like Jamal off the floor when Justin Powell has to rest or guys like that, you're not going to give whoever's on the floor for your opponent a minute's breath, basically, because uh, you're going to keep coming at them like that. The other one like that, and the ultimate, look how good this dude could be. Oh, my God, the beneficiary what? of Sharif Cooper. JT Thor, do not – I mean – Again, holy bleep! The 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 Sharif Cooper talk is going to be very very obvious in all the headlines, and I'm going to write a story later in the week, hopefully on Tuesday, where I dig in a little bit more to Sharif. So, we, it makes sense. He made everybody else around him immediately right, better, which right. was the hope. 
He is your MVP in terms of your value. But when you talk about impact on a box score Holy. and impact on a basketball game, <laughs> JT Thor looked exactly like the guy who had a shot to be one of the best players in the 2021 class. On Saturday, JT Thor had 15 points, 9 rebounds, 4 blocks, 3 steals. Now, that's a weird combination of stats, right? Um, to get 3 in all those areas... Uh, and then to have 15 points and nearly nearly a, 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 a double-double in rebounding. But getting three at least three blocks and three steals is, is not something you do very, very often. Okoro did it, I think, a couple times. Um, that was a Chumo Kiki line a couple times as well. I guess, but yeah, it takes a certain three. type of player and body to do that. Yes. Four and three. 15, nine, four, and three. According to College Basketball Reference, in the last decade, because that's as far back as their, their uh, game finder goes, since 2010... Only one Auburn player has ever put up 15-9-4-3 in a game, and that was Kenny Gabriel, who had a 10-block triple-double against Bethune-Cookman in 2012. Semi-deep cut there with the Kenny da- Kenny Gabriel stat. Kenny Gabriel just obliterating a MEAC team. A little different when it's JT Thor doing it against Alabama, who is undefeated in the SEC at the moment, in a 94-90 game. In a game where Thor, you also have to keep in mind, he had two fouls in the first minute in 22 and did not play for a good while. And Bruce rolled him back out there in the second, or late in the first half. And then when Auburn went on, went on the run, Thor did a really good job of playing without fouling, and he did everything well. Again, like Cambridge, this is a dude who the ball's going to go up in the air on, on a lob. They're going to run the floor. And Thor, I mean, Thor went in the second half, that one dunk he tried – that he almost put down. I mean, he went for he went for what would have been an absolute just beheading. That was almost one of the best dunks I've ever seen. It at all. would have paused the game and charges would have been dropped. It was It was it was crazy. Delicious. I mean, I was I was worried for people's safety. And he he has the oops, he gets a and then everybody's like, "All right, well, n- n- Pack the paint because here comes here comes this dude who again I I'll keep mentioning it because I think people need to um, really really keep it in mind. This dude is the size of Giannis Antetokounmpo. If he starts hitting threes dimensions. regularly, oh my god, he's we've seen him not be afraid to step outside and 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 take and take the three. The two man game. You talk about a pick and roll or pick and pop with that guy. Mm, what do you do with that? What do you do with Sharif's ability to score and pass? And then JT, I mean, everything you're saying about JT and combo, that's not many college teams, and, I think, can can deal with that. And Thor is a matchup problem because he's so big and so athletic and is fine being a face-up guy, but dribbling and creating is not his strongest suit yet. You know, he's not a he's not a Ben Simmons type. He's not even a Giannis type in that aspect yet. But what he can do is say, well, I'm big and wiry and I can move around and, like, I'm going to attack space and it's going to be harder for you, like, to try to, like, if you play up tight on me off the ball, you know, I can, I can you know, use my length to get around you and finish. Or if you play off of me, because you're afraid that you're gonna you're gonna drive by me, or I'm gonna drive by you or go over you. Well, I can catch and shoot. And a guy with the vision and the savvy of Cooper is gonna be able to create things for him. But like 15, 9, 4, and three in a game like that, when you were in foul trouble early, is exceptional. And he is a talent that is going to be fully unleashed. 
So when you see Flanagan play the way he did, and you see Thor play the way he did, and you see Cooper, obviously, um, not the greatest game for Jalen Williams after being exceptional earlier in the week. It's everybody's going to have to come together and kind of learn and, and adjust on on their own on, at their own pace. But you see, Cambridge getting a really good run off the bench. You see, um, once again, I'll keep I'll keep talking about him. Javon Franklin is like the ultimate role player because he comes into the game and Auburn is just okay. Like, hey, we need you to take a couple minutes. Hey, we need you to uh, help us out because we have a, a foul situation. And he's like, all right, Auburn. And when he checks out, Auburn's better for it. Like, that's that's a special type of player. Um, you know what else made me happy about this game, Ferg, was that I was, was that? getting concerned about the morale of the team. I think that they've proven Sound like Bruce right. was as well. Yeah, I don't think that they were going to quit, but it does start becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy when you're losing these games and getting behind. And you're sometimes coming back, but never really in a position. Even against Alabama, I think their largest lead was two. They could never get two baskets ahead. And I think it just starts becoming hard to believe you're going to win those games, especially the close ones. Yep, yep. And I think this has pretty obviously helped change that dynamic. Bruce said, our morale has been strained because we're not winning. We're getting better. We're working hard. I understand we're young. Our young players are freshmen and sophomores. They played really well. So, again, they're losing out there fighting, but it's hard for the morale to be great when they've been challenged, either being thin or having such a disruptive fall. The mentality of this team is pretty impressive. And, um, you know, I think the fan base recognizes that and should celebrate that because this is not a team that has – you know they're not a veteran team like they were last year. They're not. They you're not pointing to Austin Wiley or um, you know a guy like uh, Daniel Purifoy or Javon McCormick or Samir Doughty or, or or any of these guys. You're like, look at all we've been through to get to mm-hmm. this point. It seems we clear can, to me this team is more talented, but God, that yeah. team's experience was just going they, to be difficult they to had play been against. Through, they had been through everything on, off the floor, together mm-hmm. in, in their basketball careers, and so they had that mentality to kind of fight through anything. And this team has that same mentality without having to have gone through the experience because they learned the ones who came back learned the lessons. A guy like Jamal Johnson helped, you know, kind of learn those lessons. Guys like Jalen Williams, who who is not a talkative guy but is a but is a leader a guy like alan flanagan a guy like sharif cooper who comes in and says sharif cooper can come in and say and he's not but sharif cooper going to say i'm the best you've ever had and this is my team and we're, and we're gonna run it and he doesn't have that personality about him but his talent matches that and his talent his talent has that has that has given him that opportunity for him to even with all this weirdness, he can just pop in and just say, let's go, and his teammates are behind him and ready for him. And that's the sign of culture. That is the sign of culture. When you have three veteran players say, I'm willing to come out of the starting lineup because we need this dude on the floor and we need him to start for us, that's culture. When you continue to fight and be competitive and refuse to get blown out, even when you fall behind early by double digits, in SEC play, two teams that are better than you because you don't have a guard. You don't have a point guard. You barely have any healthy scholarship guards when 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 Cooper's – I mean, uh, when uh, Powell's down. When you do that, that is culture. When you are going through it in a four-game losing streak or you're having to grind your way through some matchups in non-conference and you're excited about seeing your teammate have a huge game and you're, you're excited about seeing – 
Okay, well, I'm having to play this role that I've never played before, but it's going to make me a better basketball player. That is culture. That is where Auburn basketball is right now. And so it sucks, yes, that they are 0-4 in SEC play, that they are 500. However, you want to also point out that in a year like this, they are getting the absolute most uh, that they can from this situation. Well, you just talked about all Yeah, all that adversity that those guys on the previous team with experience went through had some lows in it, and you've experienced uh-huh. any you know number of sh- challenges this year between Sharif's delay, Powell being out, just all the youth, and obviously the things going on outside of basketball. And, and so now it does feel like you're starting to maximize your potential with Cooper back, and once you get Powell in the mix. It's obvious watching the Alabama game, we're going to be watching a different Auburn basketball season. I don't know how many wins I've been saying this repeatedly it will culminate in, but as long as Auburn's at home, I like their chances. On the road, I think it's going to be more hit or miss, but still, at least they're going to be able to reliably generate some offense now. They're going to be able to do some of the things that they weren't able to do. Like, the way Bruce had said it, the way they were playing, it was going to be hard for them to win in the SEC. Yesterday, the way they played against the best team in the SEC right now, they can beat some teams playing that way. You got one coming up here on Wednesday night against Georgia on the road. Georgia got absolutely flattened by Arkansas on Saturday, lost by 30 in that game. Well, in fact, you pointed this out recently, too, that a lot of the mistakes Auburn's made, it's not because the guys aren't talented or capable of winning. And I think even in the Alabama game, we saw a lot of the stuff that led to their downfall is Mm -hmm. correctable. Yeah. Georgia, this Georgia game is going to be interesting because Georgia plays fast, but they can't shoot particularly well. Um, (laughs) They, you know, low three-point percentage, low uh, high turnover rate. They're very much like Auburn. Whoever takes care of the ball in this game is going to be the one who wins. They're going to want to create pressure. They're going to want to play fast. They're going to want to do some things that Auburn wants to do as well. But, like, it's can Auburn, with a natural point guard, take this show on the road and get a win to kind of stabilize itself? And then, let's see, now Kentucky's starting to come on. you got to play Arkansas again. Who in the world knows what South Carolina looks like? Um, yeah, this will be a nice little range of games anywhere between a Georgia team I think Auburn should beat a Kentucky team that might be hitting its stride, but still had to pull out some close games. You know that Arkansas, at least for now, appears to be better than you. Like I think this is a a fun stretch for Auburn that I think they can do well in. Although it's going to depend partially on you know some of those road games. And I'm mm-hmm. just not very I'm not very confident about this team on the road yet. Yeah, and 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 we'll we'll see. I mean they they came back against A and M. And, you know, refused to get blown out when it looked like it could have easily done it against, mm-hmm. against Ole Miss. So there's a lot to do there. And, and you know, Stegman Coliseum is not necessarily the most intimidating place in the world <laughs> to play college basketball, especially in a COVID year. So, like, I don't, you know, I, I, I think the Georgia game is definitely a winnable one for Auburn. They're just going to have to go in there and take care of business. And, and it's going to be taking care of the ball and just being a better shooting team just because you just don't see it. Like, Georgia's having to – Georgia wants to do some of the stuff that you want to do, but you've done it a little bit better and a little bit more frequently against quality competition. Um, not to say Georgia's a bad team by any means. They ran through a decent non-conference schedule. They beat Cincinnati um, and never they never left, really. Um, went to overtime with LSU. Played State all right. Uh, so it's just like this is, you know, Statistically, this is the team that's probably your second easiest win left on the schedule. So what are you going to do about it? 
This is going to be a good opportunity to kind of build off of that and that launch a pad. See the lessons that you learn from, okay, now we know what to do with Sharif Cooper. Now we know what this looks like and this looks like and this looks like. You do that moving forward, you're going to be all right. And again, as we've said, the record and the final score is not the ultimate goal here. You know, the way Auburn lost yesterday, it's going to be tough, and it'll always be you lost to Alabama. Um, well, but, that one to me meant more than it normally does because it's like you can play spoiler this year. You Like you said, you're not playing for a whole lot except to get better. All right, but then you know what Alabama's doing right now, which is apparently vying for a regular season title if they continue to play like this. And I would have enjoyed it if Auburn handed them their first loss heading into a Kentucky matchup that feels pretty important. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: here's the thing to keep in mind if you're Auburn. Um, what happened yesterday can only help you if you use it as a launching pad moving forward. And in next season. If Sharif Cooper is back, and, and this is a full-strength team, and you've got Jabari Smith out there and all that, what happened yesterday will not be you lost to Alabama when you could have won and it was a close game at home. It would have been that was the game where Auburn basketball took that next step as a program, and it was the beginning of something really, really big. So that's the that's what you got to cling on to. Auburn's got a lot, to work, a lot of work to do. Like we said, defensively and rebounding, they've really, really got to, uh, to, to start making the grade there more in order to get to where they want to be. But that is, man, we went about 45 minutes on Auburn hoops alone. Maybe a little bit less than that, but um, there's a lot to talk about. Sharif Cooper is freed. And like we said, um, auburnobserver.com, check it out. Some of you are subscribers. We appreciate all of you who are. We appreciate all of you who aren't subscribers, um, who are listening to the free podcast each week. Y'all are uh, really, really uh I don't know. It, it, I think whatever I can say at this point, with the amount of reaction and the and the feedback and the love we've gotten over these last few months, just isn't enough. But if you'd like to continue to support the show and you'd like to become a subscriber, AuburnObserver.com, access to every one of the stories uh, that I write during the week and the premium podcast we do in the midweek, um, where we talk about you know, just stuff like this, just more of it. You get twice as much a painter. It's the inner circle. You want to join? You want to yes, join? That, that is why, Ferg, the people have have graciously given their money. Yes, they want <laughs> that, twice that as much painter. They want twice as much painter sharpless. But uh, I'm hoping to have a Sharif Cooper do a little bit more breakdown on Sharif Cooper's debut uh, later in the week. I love uh, him so much. He's so good. I can't believe he's so good. We got mailbags. We got a premium podcast. We got a lot of analysis. We got more observations for basketball season. Got a lot of stuff going on there. AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there. It's um, fun to lead off with basketball that we were able to go that long because it's not. The thing yeah. is, it's not like there's nothing happening with football. We were just able to genuinely talk about something that was that exciting because, like, hey, there's uh, starting to feel pretty good about what's happening here on the plains, baby. Yeah. Hey, like we said, business is picking up. Um, around here, especially for us. we got a lot of stuff to talk about and write about. Um, one of the things I'll be writing about, you're listening to this on a Sunday or maybe you're listening on Monday. If you're a subscriber, Monday morning, I'll have a story where I'm going to do a little early introduction to Derek Mason as a defensive mind and what he could be bringing to Auburn and kind of his philosophy and where that kind of fits in as things come together. The last podcast we had, the premium one we did, Auburn was on the verge of hiring Mike Bobo and uh, Derek Mason, those have both been confirmed. Those have both been confirmed. Yeah, how, how about it? 
other assistant coaches on staff, Will Friend, the offensive line coach, formerly of Tennessee, uh, longtime uh, connection to Mike Bobo, brings on board, uh, bringing bringing him on board as well. Ferg, I all- think they're reading the Observer because they're doing all the things. <laughs> I doubt that, but so it's, it's good to know that I might be on the same page as some people. Yes, yes. Cadillac Williams, a big one uh, that a lot of Auburn fans were wanting to see. He's back in business uh, for Auburn. He will retain and be retained as a running backs coach. That's really good news. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit in a, in a moment, probably. But DJ Williams entering the transfer portal, but it looks like Tank Bigsby is going to be able to, you know, get the plane built out of him in, in 2021. We'll see how that works um, on the defensive side of the ball. A homecoming uh, uh, on the uh, on that side of the field with Zach Etheridge, a brother Zach, rising name. Speaking of that 2010 national championship team, a rising name in the coaching world. A lot of people really, really high on him moving forward. I always thought Zach Etheridge would make his way back uh, to Auburn at some point. Kind of surprised it's happening, you know, in a post-Malzahn era. Yeah, in a a post-Malzahn era. But you know what? He's coming in. He is currently um, down to coach corners in the system. And then they also, uh, Auburn has also had the, uh, the, and I want to make sure I get this guy's name right because I've I've already screwed it up the last couple of times I've tried to say it out loud. Jeff Schmetting, who was the defensive coordinator and play caller uh, at Boise State under Brian Harson. Boise State uh, hiring uh, Andy Avalos, their former defensive coordinator and or Oregon defensive coordinator. Was he uh, the to, one that you said they needed to do that? Yes, I thought that I thought that was the best thing for them to hire, uh, best best hire for them to make. I should say um, the thing. Yes, the thing. Uh, Schmetting here. All right. So here's the thing, Auburn fans, let's, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. Um, Schmetting is going to be the inside linebackers coach and the defensive run game coordinator at Auburn. There are a lot of people, especially after Cadillac Williams getting retained, they want Travis Williams back. A hundred percent understand. I understand hundred percent get it. Uh, Travis Williams, I think would do a lot for Auburn staff like Cadillac could do on the offensive side in the running back room and being a bridge between the staff uh, staffs and the, and the eras and the the roster. We know he's a recruiter. We know he's loved by Auburn fans. You know, he's a hype man. I think knowing what I know about a guy like Derek Mason, knowing what I know about a guy like Brian Harson, knowing what I know from having talked to and, and, and spent time with Travis Williams, I think culturally, um, personality wise, it could be a really good synthesis. The thing about it is, is that there's two, two, two avenues to keep in mind here. Number one, Jeff Schmetting is the inside linebackers coach. We're about to see a change at Auburn where if you want to say, and I don't want to give away my story too much on Monday, but you're like, all right, what scheme does Auburn, is Auburn going to run under Derek Mason? The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> it's going to be very versatile, but inside and the outside linebackers, you know, under Kevin Steele, they ran a lot of base four, two, five stuff. This is going to be different. This is this is a different look. It's going to be a different style. It's going to be a different philosophy. Jeff Schmetting runs the type of defense at Boise State that I think it identifies a lot with what Derek Mason did at Vanderbilt and Stanford. Schematically, it comes together. Travis Williams, not quite as much as we've seen that in. But it's the inside linebackers. That, one would think, means that outside linebackers could be an option for him if they wanted to retain him, he has coached outside linebackers in the past. He has coached pass rushers and helped recruit pass rushers in the past. It's a very versatile group. There's an option for Travis Williams to stay on board. He has reportedly interviewed. I think that if Auburn ends up wanting to keep him around, it would be a big win for 
a lot of people in the program. But they've got to pick the best fit for this system and this and this style. So there's a lot to think about that. But I will say though, because I think if there's a if there's a chance that Travis Williams is not retained by Auburn and that he is coaching somewhere else moving forward, there are gonna be some Auburn fans who are upset about it. There are gonna be some Auburn fans, and you've already seen it, where they're like, Oh, you know, they hired the guy from Boise State. Or, you know, this guy was at Eastern Washington before he before he, you know, came here. Why didn't they keep It doesn't two? matter for the purposes of the decision, but I do think he's the most popular coach on Auburn's staff or from right. the old staff. And I want to say this to say this, no matter if T Will is retained or not, I want to point something out about Jeff Schmetting. Auburn got somebody who is a defensive coordinator. Right. That's an interesting be, to move. come be a position coach. Right. Now, having that relationship with Harson's a big deal, but I think I think that says something about how you're getting to do with some experience and who has kind of been through the fire in this system, in this style, who knows what they're doing. The Brian Harson staff to this point, and it's still trying to be filled out, but I wrote about it in the mailbag on Friday for those who subscribe, and it is in my headline. Grading hires is a waste of time. We have no idea how any of this is going to work. I had said it on the podcast last Thursday, and I wrote about it again in the mailbag. I feel like Mike Bobo as a hire could be kind of like Kevin Steele, where it's like, ah, no one's going to you know, be super, super excited about it right now. It's not the sexiest pick in the world, but it could end up really, really working out because there are some things that line up that maybe Auburn's the spot for him to you know, get back to what he was as a coordinator in the SEC, right? The... The, the, the situation here with Brian Harson is he came in and the, and the pitch for Brian Harson at Auburn has been, I was a very, very consistent head coach at Boise State. We had a consistent culture. We had a consistent style of the way we went about things. We played above our heads. We didn't recruit as well as all these other teams, but we still were one of the most consistent programs in college football. How do you do that? I'm going to try to bring that here with more talent, with more resources, and try to overcome the natural and honestly, guys, eternal discrepancies you're going to have between the likes of Alabama, the likes of Georgia, the likes of you know even teams like LSU and Florida and Texas A&M and stuff like that. That's been the pitch. But he's coming in not knowing the league. He's coming in needing some recruiting chops. So he goes and makes this staff, and so far, again, We'll see if it works out or not. I have no idea how any of it's going to work out. I can see pros and cons for all of this, which is why patience and time is going to be key here. And that's not necessarily things that fans want to hear or want to have, especially in the world of SEC football. But Brian Harson's building a staff right now. Guys who know Auburn, guys who know the system, guys who know what he wants to do in terms of um, culture, scheme, uh, you know, style, whatever you want to call that. Guys who recruit this area, guys who've done it at a high level, guys who, in the case of a guy like Will Friend, a guy who addresses, I think, Auburn's biggest issue um, in terms of recruiting, which is how far behind they are on getting blue chip offensive line talent. It's a good balance. He's not overloading one side or the other. He's not just bringing in all his guys, but he's also not bringing in guys that are just Auburn guys or just SEC guys. It's a balance. It's a balance, and I think... That's a good, in my dumb opinion, of someone who 
you know, has never coached a, uh, down a football in his life, but covers this stuff and, and, and writes about it and tries to learn as much as he can about it for a living. To me, I feel like that's a great way to go about it because it's different, it's new, and it's, it's, it's expansive. And that's something that I think, again, Auburn could have gone a lot of different directions when they got rid of Gus Malzahn of how are we going to get over the hump? There's a lot of different directions they could have gone, a lot of different avenues they chose. And they're not going for the splashy, sexy, you know, biggest name, biggest buzz, most social media, you know, hits kind of thing. They're going for a balanced, maybe more settled approach. And I think hopefully in the long term saying that that balanced, more settled approach can create a more balanced and settled program. Now, will it work? I don't know. I also think there's just a natural, knowing the history of Auburn football, I think there's just a natural voodoo about this program that you're just always going to be chaotic. So, uh, but you can't, you can't fault, you can't fault Auburn for doing something different. And like, I think, you know, and a guy like Brian Harson being willing to open himself up, himself up to some new things while also sticking to his guns on the other thing. I think it's a good balance of trust and kind of expanding your portfolio. What it looks like to me is Alan Green and some other leaders and the move with Harson identifying what the strengths of the program are, what the history of the program have generally been and saying, when we have had success, this is generally what it has looked like. It has been innovative mm-hmm. and it's been embracing a type of culture that is different from a lot of its rivals. I will also say, when is the next time, or I guess I will ask, when is the next time Auburn plays Florida? Because I'm excited about Derek Mason in a vest. And the last time I remember those two being near one another, Dan Mullen could have gotten himself into some serious trouble. Yeah, that's going to be. I'll tell you one thing. I'm really excited about covering Derek Mason, and I can't wait to hopefully talk to him a little bit more down the road because he was electric at SEC Media Day. I mean, we we have the obvious point of like he was always facing an uphill battle with that program, and it made sense why Vanderbilt made that decision a number of years ago, and I still understand why it just didn't work out. But as a coordinator, you can't deny the success he's had, and I think just based on the little bit I know about the guy, it's going to be – it's, it's going to work for him to recruit players with the kind of energy he has. I spent the weekend, you know, with the, the staff news and the, and the basketball coverage and all that, but, you know, trying to continue to run out the clock here on, on the, uh, on the old, on the old COVID quarantine, which again, I want to continue to say, like I tweeted on Saturday, I appreciate all y'all for uh, your kind words and your patience and your prayers and all that. It feels like uh, I'm kind of, um, kind of on the end of this right now. And, uh, Really, hopefully, hopefully, if we can get the rest of my my family out of the woods, that'd be nice. Uh, we can we can kind of move on from from that. Um, some of my some of my family members in other places that are dealing with it. But um, one of the things one of the things I did a little a, a little bit a lot of bit over the weekend um, in preparation for this Monday story that I'm doing is I watched some Derek Mason just talking football, like talking to coaches here's how we teach things. Here's how we, you know, got a lot of, you know, there's some X's and O's stuff in there, but it's kind of more like the philosophy and like, here's how I teach it. Here's why we teach it the way we, we, we do. And he's a fascinating guy. He's a fascinating, and, and, and I'm not, again, if you could ever talk X's and O's and, and straight up football with Kevin Steele and um, Chad Morris and, and Gus Malzahn, 
same thing. I love learning and hearing from these guys whenever they get to kind of just talk about the stuff that they're really good at and that they're passionate about. But Derek Mason, I think it's going to be a very interesting way to go about defense at Auburn because I think it's going to be different from what we've normally seen in a variety of ways. Um, you can tell this man coached at Stanford and Vanderbilt, and it's the type of players <laughs> he knew that he was getting in there that weren't necessarily going to be, hey, I know you ain't going to run the fastest and you're going to hit the hardest and you know, you're not going to be the strongest, but we're going to play like you can beat those guys. Well, now you're going to give him an upgrade in athletic talent if you can continue to have that drive and continue to have that culture and continue to have that mentality while you know putting the scheme in. Um, it should be fun. And it's, it's interesting because it's going to be the more we see the resets happening in this roster, when you look at the wide receivers going, when you look at the depth now being down at running back, but then you see things like Zacoby McClain coming back, or you see guys like, uh, you know, um, Smoke Monday coming back. You're seeing at some points that there's going to be some resets in areas and there's going to be ways to, to go about another. This is going to be an opportunity in 2021 where, again, I've said it pretty much every time we've talked about Harson. I don't think there's going to be quote-unquote year zero for him, but this is a year where in 2021 we'll see what the schedule looks like, we'll see what the roster looks like because so much is going to change between now and then there's a chance to establish what they call on uh, it's a, it's a Steven Godfrey thing. And it's a, our, our friends at split zone do it's the proof of concept. Like, what are you doing? Are you going to put like, what is, what is going to define the Brian Harson era? What is this going to be different? Why was this different? What is, you know, what is the progress going to be made? And it's not necessarily win 10, 11 games next season, but establish something new, establish something different that says, Hey, it might not be a world beater right now, but get ready because we're building towards something. And it's not – this success doesn't happen overnight. Even a place like Georgia had a year where they had – under Kirby where they had to kind of get figure, get their feet set before they took that step. And, of course, you know – Still managed know. to beat uh, one of their rivals that year. What a <laughs> – Well, a and then the other – the other thing about that is is that you're also, in the case of Harson, which is what made the Gus Malzahn era and this whole transition so different than normal, is that this is a lot of money for a guy who was winning a good bit of games anyway, right? So there's only so much that you can want to take a step back in, but I'm telling you, change is coming. There is a different... They're going to run... It's going to be a different way of going about business on offense. It's going to be a different way of going about business on defense. And traditionally... That is not a recipe for instant success. Now, the problem is, is that if you were Gus Malzahn, it was a recipe for instant success when you were in 2013, and you never quite got back to that mark yet. Um, of course, if you could win all those games and do it again in 2021, of course you'll take it as a coach. You want to win as much as you can, but for the health of the program, it might be a little, might be a little different to just be like, hey, this is going to be a year where you establish some things different and new. And Auburn fans... There's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. There's going to be some frustrations. There's going to be some decisions that you don't like. There's going to be some reactions that you don't like. There's going to be some quotes that you don't like. There's going to be stuff that you like as well, though. And I think if you want to look at it in a positive light, it says, hey, Auburn is doing something different, and they're doing something um, that's kind of not Auburn. And there have been people who have been begging for this for decades or you know, all their lives wanting something different. And you're getting it, so. Yeah, you've gone outside of the Auburn circle, the southeast even, 
Um, I think and who knows that, if it'll work? Who knows if it'll work? Because if it doesn't, they can go right back. They can go right back <laughs> to their old ways. Yeah. Speaking of which, oh, and this is not speaking of which at all. This is actually a terrible segue. <laughs> um, talking about changing things and 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 doing something new. Um, you want to talk about the you want to talk about the uh, football facility pictures? Looks cool to me. Yeah. So that was an interesting time to be on the internet this weekend. Um, we knew that these were coming, right? And people are like, well, Auburn. Yeah. I think that was the whole thing. There was this, this like, there was this narrative around the Gus decision where it was like, if they don't fire Gus Malzahn, all the money people will not give their money and they will never build anything ever again. And it's like that, the, the money COVID, COVID changed the timeline of this area, but we had heard for a year now, more than a year now, that everything's on track. It's just, there's kind of a world shifting thing happening right now, and it's kind of hard to get a lot of stuff going the way you want to on the timeline. But even like, Gus Malzahn's the coach today, it's still the coach today. They're building that thing. He put his own money into that, into that facility, which I think should never go underappreciated by Auburn fans. Got to keep that in mind and remember that because not every coach would have done that. Um, but it's it, it it was this thing where like it, this was always going to be it, but now it's it's the step. Here's your step. And when Auburn builds this thing and they put it up there, they're going to want it to be state of the art. But it's this it's just the beginning. You can't just build the football facility and say, and now we're going to rake in the recruits. It's like no, you've you've got a lot of other facilities upgrades you got to do. So when you make this move, and we know that there has been there have been stories and talk of 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 what the money people and what, you know, what the powerful people and all the, all the things that came down to no more Gus Miles on here comes Brian Harson and what all, what all transpired in the process. This has got to be the beginning uh, because this is an investment and everyone's got to be on the same page and it can't be pouting and keeping your money on that. But the facility itself is interesting because you know, it's got to just be the beginning, but it also shows you just like, how much insane money there is in this sport. And that if you're not going to give these guys a salary and you're not going to give these guys, you know, what they're worth, quote unquote, financially, well, you're going to be spending tens of millions of dollars on on buildings that have, you know, flight simulators and barbershops, which, again, I hate the system the way it is. Wish it could benefit. I hope name, image, and likeness can help change some of that, but... I mean, at least it would get, make more uh, sense if the players just directly got a slice of the pie and it's it would, not going to bring would. the whole operation to a crashing halt. But no. anyway, here we are. It, it, it's yeah. And, and people are like, Oh, people act as if the whole system will go away. It's a billion dollar industry. You think that people are just going to wrap it in a bow and be like, well, I guess that's that. Yeah. They're just going to be like, well, the players are pl- playing now. No, I'm not going to support it anymore. It's like, no, you're not. Like, also, who cares if you don't, but like you're going to invest <laughs> yeah, exactly. your entire life into this. So I doubt you're going to stop on a dime. But even if you do whatever, fine, like it's not going to miss you. It's, an, it's a it's a sport. It doesn't have feelings. And certainly the business aspect doesn't care how you feel about it. That much has been made very clear through big business yeah. over the last few months. It does not care how you feel about it's about the gears and mechanisms. And so anyway, Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the, the kids deserve it, but now you want to be mad about flight simulators. It's like, you know, pick which well, one it is. And it's also, and it's also one of those things where like, there were some national media people that were like, 
look at all the bells and whistles they're putting in this thing. Oh, it's crazy how much money they're spending. It's like, yeah, this is the system. This is a system that you have been supporting for years. You know, you when you write about all this, this, this coach hot seat stuff, and you just fire off columns and hot takes all around. This is the it. You have the money, and the money goes to the people in power. And this is, I mean, this is the best that they can get. This is the this best. might be a version of Little Brother syndrome. But sometimes I feel like when the programs with larger brands make these announcements it's treated with a little bit more fanfare and like wow this is very state of the art and very well done and then when a program at the tier of auburn does it it's like "Mm, yeah is that really the most yeah uh, valuable use of your resources in this time i mean goodness think about think about the children auburn yeah yeah, they put a waterfall. They put a waterfall in Tuscaloosa, and it's like, well, this is what happens when you win national architecture at its finest. But it's like, yeah, I just it it again. We it, it, you can see it in the Shreve Cooper thing. You can see it in the you can see it in the um, you know stuff in the narrative around reporting a certain way affects yeah. certain people and and impacts or benefits certain programs and that's never not going to happen it's been that way for decades and auburn fans you're just not going to get the same love sorry embrace it and enjoy it when you win yeah but it's like this was not a time to pile on and pick on auburn for investing in their players because in the framework of the rules that exist right now this is how you this do is it. how you have to do it otherwise Otherwise, all that money is just going to go to salaries for coaches or salaries for administrators or stuff like, you know. And again, I'm not knocking the stadium experience, and there are things at Jordan-Hare Stadium that can continue to be improved. But to me, it's a lot more important to make sure that these guys who give so much and they sacrifice so much of their time and their, and their bodies – to play a sport for largely your entertainment. Eli Stone being a fantastic example of that. Yes. That they have, they can be as comfortable as the rules allow them to be comfortable until we have any sort of change in this, in the way things are going. I would much rather see that happen than make sure that the seats were a little bit nicer at Jordan Hare Stadium or, you know, you know, the, the end zones look different. Like, I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm not saying those aren't, those don't even have an effect on your program because of fundraising and all that. But like it, yeah, that this was not the, this was not the time to, to, to pile on. This was the time to say, Hey, this system, this, the way this is, it's crazy that we can pay all this money in college sports, even in a pandemic to get rid of coaches and to invest all this money in these, in these big, facilities and yet we can also say well well, no 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 we can't we don't have money to pay these guys directly like yeah and then to pick and choose between which programs which coaches and which players should be scrutinized heavily for it and when there's a paper trail or even phone records on the other hand it's like i mean you know everybody deserves a second chance right so again the main takeaway there is is Pay the players, but if you're not going to pay the players, let them get paid by other people for their name, image, and likeness. And even when you do that, if you're going to pay, if you're going to pay the players in something, no one's devaluing a college education. You know, there I would be nowhere where I was if I didn't, you know, get get the opportunities I did to have a, have a scholarship that a lot of people 
would have killed to have, not devaluing at all. But I also didn't rake in hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars for my <laughs> university. I was a drain on my university more than anything. Um, if you pay the players, if you're not going to pay the players, let other people pay the players and then invest in the things that matter. Don't put so much money into giving people who are already really rich and already have generational wealth, that kind of money. And instead put it on more of the people who make this all possible. Because we can talk about the fans and the passion and the, and the, the game day environments and, and, and the media and all that, all the stuff that makes college football the wacky, um, brilliant, crazy, stupid sport that we love. But it's about the players. These are the guys who make this happen. And we've got to do a better job for them. So let's not pile on uh, when the opportunity is not right for it. Having said all that. Okay. Alan, if you're listening, please yep. brick the exterior of Jordan Hare Stadium. It's it time. Look, it would look really good. It would look really good. But on a scale of things that are important, I'm picking up what you're putting down, sir. I if if okay, I have a question. If if Auburn could have snapped their fingers and just said, We're keeping the old scoreboard, or we're just gonna we're not gonna build the monstrosity. And they the Jumbo Troon. Yeah, and they just decided to like use that money instead to renovate the other end or, you know, brick it or whatever. Is there anybody who would take the scoreboard right now? I don't think so. Alabama fans. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, and that's not to say the scoreboard's not good. I mean, I, I can't, you know, again, this is not going to be me. I don't, I, I will, I refuse to be the type of person who complains about where the press box is at Auburn because, again, I am getting paid to write about it but for what it's worth me, you just they can't can put really me in use space because of anything. where because of where yeah. you are so like it, it is sort of just irrelevant for you guys is it worse is it worse than it, i was used to yes is a lot of stuff about life worse than what i was used to yes <laughs> so you can yeah, do I, one of t- you can do one of two things you can either complain about it and just be miserable or you can just roll with the punches and realize it could be a whole lot worse if 2020 wasn't obvious to that I don't know what else is going to be, but that scoreboard, like it, 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 I just don't think it had the effect that they thought it could have had. And again, I'm not really 100 percent sure what what kind of effect they thought it would have. I mean, the only the the other big scoreboard, I think the only other big single scoreboard in in football is the one in Jacksonville, but the big one at uh, mm. at at, uh, at where the Jags play. It always felt a bit like overcompensating to me, right? But yes. At the same time. I get it. I mean, everything about these aesthetic upgrades are purely, you know, it's a competition. And so you're like, well, it's big and it's nice. And for the matter, that is true. Right. Well, and this is, and this goes back to my thing of like benefit the people, you know, like the, if I want to be like the revolutionary over here, it's like benefit the players, benefit the, benefit the little people, benefit the people who make it all possible. Um, that's where like my only gripe with the press box isn't that oh they moved the media it's that you know they took out they took out fifth they took out really good seats for clubs that you know club seats that are exorbitant exorbitant amount of money like just a an insane amount of money um, to sit there and to raise money and I guess that's part of the cost of doing business but like. You know, maybe uh, if we, if if we as the media had to have moved to the corner so they could open up like 
the fact that like more families could go to games or like more just normal folks could go to games, uh, that would have been cool or have, you know, have better seats. But instead it was like, yeah, these are going to cost so much money for you to sit here. And yeah, I can complain about how my sight line's different now, but sometimes I wonder if I'm also, I'm also, I'm also, (laughs) I'm also writing about a game for a living. I don't have a real job and I don't have to do 95% of the stuff that real life people have to deal with. And, Right. You know, it's kind of dumb. To, it's kind of dumb to sit and argue about well, it. Well, to that end, I do sometimes wonder because you usually have a pretty laid back attitude about what it is you do for a living. And I don't mm-hmm. think you tend to take it or yourself too seriously, which feels fair to say. Should be as serious as it is. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an entertainment product that means a ton to so many people. And for those who are in it, um, can be life changing. But for a lot of us who are on the outside of it and who are, uh, who cover it or you know consume it a, a, as a product? It's a product, and uh, we well, don't need and, to, and we don't need to treat it as life or death, but we also need to treat it with the the amount of fun and enjoyment as it mm-hmm. as it should bring because it should be entertaining. If it's right, not, like if you do, if go you do something else. If you don't, <laughs> your take life is it. your life is much too precious <laughs> than to than to be mad all the time about it. Yeah, I think if you don't take it too seriously, you don't feel so upset like it's a personal slight to you that the university may not value the media as much as they do high-level donors. It's just, a, as you said, I'm part Shoot, of doing I business. Va- I wouldn't value me. I mean, honestly, like, you know, I, this is like I was joking. I was kind of a drain on my university. It's like, what? what? <laughs> I mean, I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I can get away with it and make money and pay my bills. And it's something that I enjoy doing. It's something that I know people enjoy reading and listening to. Um, I am not an essential ser- service. I'm not a journalist. I don't report hardly anything. Um, but yeah, just to the initial point, I do sometimes feel like the Jumbotron was not the splash that people no. had hoped it might be when they went that route. Nope, not at all. Hey, before we go, uh, Bama, Ohio State Monday night. So Ohio State got a chance. Yeah, I absolutely think they have a chance. I've got Alabama winning, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, we've seen how well Ohio State recruits. Curious about Fields' health. It seems like he's not going to be 100%. Um, mm. but that's that's the thing. I think Fields has to play like he did against, like, because we've seen in the past, you have to be really, really dang good at quarterback to beat Alabama usually. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to have analyzed those two teams' rosters super thoroughly, but something you did point out was that Clemson had a harder time blocking mm-hmm. that Ohio State defense, which has not been superb this season, no. especially relative to some of their past defenses. But man, they and flat out I, got after it at the line of scrimmage in that game. Absolutely. And so if that continues, great. They absolutely then, I think, have a chance to win this game, and they've surprised us recently when these two teams matched up. But given how good Alabama's offensive line has been, God, and the just, teams are yeah. relatively even in talent. I think the I'm 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 leaning back on Alabama given the line play that we've seen from them all year. Yeah, I feel like this one's just going to be kind of a coronation. I, I don't I don't imagine Ohio State would play poorly, but um, Fields had an exceptional game, but it wasn't like he's been playing like that all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I just, that Alabama offense might end up being one of the best we've ever seen. When we talked about what Alabama's defense a while back being the best ever, I think. I mean, LSU obviously is going to have the numbers and all that and, and from last season um, just because the, they're a little bit different in terms of style. But, I mean, pure talent-wise, that, that, there's no telling how many first-rounders are going to come out of that crew. I do hope Waddle can play. I, yeah, I'm a 
I'm a Waddle guy just because um, I uh, the, one of the only predictions I've ever gotten right in my life <laughs> was uh, one time it was right before we got all got fired at SEC country. Um, they were asking like who's going to be like who who was your preseason like your pick for freshman of the year and I was like I had heard from people at Alabama was like this Waddle kid's incredible like just he can I don't know how people can cover him he's going to be a special teams weapon and so I was like yeah Jalen Waddle man like that dude I've I've heard good things and he ended up being awesome. And so I like watching players like him. It's like kind of like how Devonte was. And then yesterday watching, um, like Tyler Lockett go to work, uh, for the, for the absolute grind that was the, uh, Seattle Seahawks My offense. God, what a, jeez, what a weird Invest in offensive linemen, folks, college yeah, and pro pro players invest in your offensive line. It's hard to do much of anything if you can't block. Um, that was a team I felt really good about going deep yeah. into the playoffs, and then yeah. they lost to, you know, defective Jared Goff. Um, but seeing a guy like Lockett or like these these small, because everybody loves the DK Metcalfs and the Julio Joneses and the and the and the, you know, even Tyree Kill to an extent because of just his speed. Well, when just they're these at their freak best, show wide receivers. Yeah, but then, when they're at their best, there's nothing you can do because they are the best athletes on the field. And then you get guys that are not physically imposing, but it's like, oh, but you can't cover them. You know, I remember our. A buddy Trevon Reed, who uh, who go is on sports call here in town, uh, and it was on our JJ radio. The gang. Yeah, shout out to those guys. Um, and we're on the, um, he was on our radio show a few times when we did it. Um, R.I.P. Trevon always would talk about how, you know, when he played defensive back in the, in the league for a little bit, he said the best wide receiver he ever came across is Keenan Allen, and Keenan Allen's. Like Keenan Allen's uh, um, recent history suggests that he is one of the best receivers in the league. But like, there's nothing like that jumps immediately out about Keenan Allen. You would say, "Oh, that dude has to be better than everybody else." And it's just like, no, nah, he's just really good. And those are cool to see guys like that. Whenever grows a great beard, great beard, great beard. You know who else is a great wide receiver? Stephon Diggs. Oh, baby. And the Buffalo Bills. Your Buffalo Bills are playoff winners once again. You got the you, you we we came dangerously close to the full Josh Allen experience. Oh my God! Did Saturday. we ever? Did um, we ever? If that fumble gets scooped up, buddy, we are in a world of hurt for another off season. But I'm telling you, that's what makes Josh Allen such a bizarre and spectacular quarterback, especially this season. Is it's that like the Jameis Winston effect? You know, whatever <laughs> happens, it's gonna be electric. He. Yeah, he's just he's excitement on every snap, and that that one throw he made to Diggs over the middle of the field, oh. where he looked like he looked like he threw that ball nine hundred miles an hour. I was just like, hey, so you know, NFL guys are you we make fun of NFL guys looking at uh, metrics and like, okay, well, is is Josh Allen actually a good quarterback? Well, he's big and he can throw the ball, uh, you know, really hard, and he, and he can run. It's like. Okay, well, yeah, in time, <laughs> you can't teach some of that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it's going to be for brutal th- for me uh, at, on the on the Paul Chesky front because I wanted Josh Rosen, and you know, I I did the thing. I got my my layups, my dunks in on Allen the first two years of his career because he was underwhelming. Yeah, and in some ways, worse every than every he was Bills fan I know was wrong about him. So, which they should. They had eyeballs. Anyway, I mean, you know, I'll take it. If the end result is me getting made fun of because I wanted Rosen, who has, last I checked, not played a snap this season, and Allen is in the conversation for MVP, although I think, uh, you know, pretty clearly 
What is it going to be Rodgers and then Henry 1-2 and then your guess is as good as mine after that? Uh, Rodgers, Henry could be in Mahomes. Yeah, I know. I feel like sort of people want to not give it to him based on the way he's played the last two years. It kind of reminds me of the LeBron thing where it's like we could probably just give it to him every year, but we're not going to do Nick's, that for the sake Nick, of entertainment. Why Nick Saban doesn't ever win coach of the year. Yeah, exactly. Got to well, space the, it out. The Buffalo Bills are playoff winners. We'll see who else will Ooh. join them. That means Duke Williams is a playoff winner because he, right. he got promoted right before, uh, right before kickoff uh, on Saturday. But – uh, we appreciate you guys listening as always. Like we said, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month or $60 a year for those of you who don't subscribe and want to read, stuff like that. Uh, the Derek you got Mason Stephon story. Mason and Cooper coming, you said? Derek yep. Mason, Shreve Cooper, two people we're very excited about on this uh, on this program. Premium well, podcast I later have. in the week. Got mailbag on Friday that you can be a part of. A um, lot, of, lot of stuff with basketball and football coming up. As we said, business is picking up. Painter, for those who are listening who want to continue to support the show but might not have the financial means or the want to right now uh, to, to join on, which we 100% get. We 100% understand any little bit um, that we get in terms of support financially or non-financially is super, super awesome to us. Uh, tell them how they can do it. Word of mouth. Tell people who love Auburn what you got going on here between the stories and the either one or two podcasts a week, depending on what you decide. Plus, you can always rate, review, subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Someone recently flamed me. Again, not going to tell you what they said. It was pretty good. You could not take a word out of the insult, out of the phrase, where it wouldn't make sense. But you have to go look and find out where it is. And while and you're there, why, your don't you, yeah, why don't you leave your own review? And, and if you feel generous, uh, five stars doesn't hurt. But, you know, hey, whatever. Um, maybe I'm fishing a little too hard here. Painter, I want to I want to bring this up because it's really it's still mind-boggling to me once we think about this. Um, we have been doing this at our Auburn Observer. We launched in September. We started um, doing uh, subscriptions in October, so it's been um, a little over three months of subscriptions. We are the eighth biggest Substack on uh, sports Substack out there right now on these internets. That's y'all. That's y'all, and this podcast has, has brought some more people into the fold. Um, so for those of you who listen for free or those of you who subscribe, cannot thank you enough. We're going to have a lot of fun here these next few weeks, I think, because there's going to be a lot to write about, a lot to talk about. We're, we might not be breaking news left and right. We might not be the scoops guys, and that's that's not our game, but we're going to have fun, and we're going hopefully we can uh, get some good insight on what could be coming up next for Auburn football and Auburn basketball. New eras! both sides should be fun uh for both of uh auburn basketball and auburn auburn football with sharif and the new coaching staff and it was a dark time for a while for a lot of people a lot of frustration a lot of a lot of anger on the internet painter but uh i think auburn fans you got a lot to you got a lot to be happy about moving forward and uh hopefully y'all spend it with us ta-ta he brought it back